Let's open our Bibles again to the prophecy of Isaiah. We're going to begin our reading in chapter 8 and read through chapter 9. Over against verse 15, many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them, and they shall pass through it hardly bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light hath shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with a confused noise, and garments rolled up in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord sent a word into Jacob and hath lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of Rezin against him and join his enemies together. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts, 
Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient and the honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that, telleth, that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burneth as the fire. It shall devour the briars and the thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother. And he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. In that dark passage of God's judgment, the wonderful promise, why there can be joy. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word again this evening. At the time of the giving of this promise, it was a very dark day in Judah. Both Syria and the ten tribes were warring with Judah. And very sinfully, the king looked to Assyria to be their help. And Assyria itself is going to turn against Judah and Jerusalem. These are instruments in God's hand judging Judah and Israel because of their sin and because of their failure to trust in him. Darkness, terrible enemies, a time of judgment. Implied, implied by way of contrast, those who look to the law and the testimony, verse 2, who speak according to the word of God, they can expect dawn to arise. They can expect light in their world. A future day, a glad morning of salvation and glory which awaits God's people. The prophet sees in a prophetic vision light shining over Galilee. It had been darkness there, darkness in the shadow of death. And he sees people, verse 3 of chapter 9, multiplied in number. Joyful, joyful because they're delivered from their enemies. Verse 4, they have victory over their foes. Who is this? Where is this light all of a sudden shining? People sit in darkness, sorrow, misery, despair, not merely darkness because of foreign enemies, 
but darkness because of the guilt of our sin. The shadow of death because of the power of sin's corruption. That darkness still pervades the world that we live in as a church. And that darkness is also ours at time, sin and guilt. The prophecy continues that after the coming of the first Messiah, the first coming of the Messiah, there's going to be joy and hope for God's people, for you and for me. We too, like Judah at that time, live in a world of darkness, sin, death, judgment, evil growing more and more. Much of the church, what's called the church, in a sorry state, and the people of God are oppressed and persecuted. Our hope is the same that was given to Judah and the elect at that time, that remnant, the promise of this wonderful Messiah and his coming. <clears throat> Why is that a beautiful prophecy? Because Isaiah sees in the distance, a far distance, a great light. It speaks about the person of the Messiah. It speaks about the kingdom, the government of the Messiah. And it ascribes to him a number of significant and beautiful names. All of this implies the full and absolute deity of the Messiah. Joy, victory, hope. And so... We read that the people that sat in darkness, Isaiah 9 verse 1, have seen a great light. To them that sat in a region and shadow of death, light has sprung up. And Isaiah preaches the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand. So in vision, Isaiah sees these people multiplied in number, Victorious in battle, and he hears them. He hears them rejoicing. Rejoicing as the people would rejoice when the harvest was taken in from the fields. Rejoicing as when a battle is finished and they take the spoils from the enemy. A child. A child is going to be born, a son given. Who is this child? There are those that want to take this passage literally, and they say there has to be someone in Isaiah's day that is going to bring this kind of victory, and so they say, it's King Hezekiah, and yes, when King Hezekiah was on the throne, there was a victory by God over Assyria. They were turned back after 185,000 were slain by God. But that is not the interpretation of this passage. If you will go further in your Bible, if you haven't opened yet, please look at Matthew chapter 4. And there we're going to mark who this child is that is given the son that is born to them. Matthew 4, verse 13 and following. Jesus Christ here was preaching. This is the beginning of his earthly ministry. And we read there, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast, in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali. Same words, isn't it? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, 
the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the Lord, the people that sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. The scripture points out the fulfillment of this promise when Jesus Christ came into this world, when he began preaching and through his death and resurrection established his kingdom. Why is it not Hezekiah? Because the promise that comes there in our chapter is that he is going to have, verse 7, a kingdom to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Hezekiah didn't sit on the throne forever. He, like all the other earthly kings before him and after him, rise for a while and then they die because they are only types of the son of David that is going to rule forever and ever. It is Christ Jesus. It is God's royal son that we're reading about. And our passage is talking now about not so much deliverance from earthly enemies, but rather the kingdom of heaven is the light which Isaiah sees and speaks about. And he says there is great joy for them. There is great rejoicing for them. Those who sat in darkness, they have seen a light. And if you look in your Bibles, now verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, point out exactly why there is this rejoicing. Verse 4, because there is a mighty deliverance. The yoke has been broken off their necks, the yoke of sin and guilt. Verse 5, again, 4, there's going to be complete peace. Righteousness and faithfulness is going to be established. Verse 6, a child is born. The child that will bring salvation. So that's my theme, the child that brings salvation. First of all, his person. Second of all, his kingdom. And then thirdly, his names. Isaiah sees these people rejoicing in the light and he hears them. He hears their song. Unto us is born a child. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Let's begin by looking at the person. Notice it is a child that is born. That phrase points to the Messiah's humanity. He is going to be flesh of our flesh. He's going to be in the likeness of our sinful flesh. He's going to come down from heaven. He's going to be one of us, a real, complete, although weakened, sinless human being, truly a member of the human race, by natural descent, a true son of Mary. I want to point out that humanity, first of all, because that was denied at times by the church. There were those that taught that Christ took his human nature with him from heaven, and he merely passed through into this world through the womb of Mary. So his human nature is something other put into the womb just for a little while in order to come into the world like water that comes through a tap. Not of Mary then. Not of man. But a human nature just kind of given to him in heaven. That was the teaching of the Anabaptist. That was the teaching of Karl Barth. And they wanted to say that his human nature came from heaven so that he would not at all be tainted with human depravity. 
But we know that Mary is the mother of God. If the human nature of Jesus Christ was not derived from the same state as ours, but merely resembled it, then there's no relation between him and us, which is necessary for him to be our mediator. Jesus is fully human. A child is born of the Virgin Mary. He is the seed of the woman. Boys and girls, you'll remember that when Cain was born, Eve believed that that was her deliverer. She says, look at the man-child that I have received from the Lord. That was not Cain. Cain was not the seed of the woman. He was the seed of the serpent. It's Jesus Christ who is that seed that was promised to Mary that would crush the head of the serpent. The true son, he is the true seed of Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 16 tells us that when we read of the seed of Abraham, it is in the singular, not in the plural, and to thy seed, which is Christ. He is the seed of David. The son of David that would sit upon the throne forever and ever. He is born. A definite time, a definite place. Born underneath the law. Born in the line of the covenant. Born for the sake of God's elect people. A child is born. A son is given. It is a male child, a son. Yes, the son of David, the divine son, which we read in Psalm 2 at the beginning of our worship service, the one that the Lord establishes on his hill. He is the son of God, eternally generated by the Father. He is the son of God in our flesh. He is given. For 4,000 years he was promised to God's people. They waited and they waited and that promise becomes clearer and clearer and clearer through history till finally Mary gives birth to the Christ child. As we read, what an unspeakable gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he is given to us. In one sense, all of our children, of course, are given to us. But he is given to us in a special sense. There is the divine wonder of his incarnation. Man and God united in one divine person. And he is spoken of in this verse in the perfect tense. He is born. He is given. And the reason for that is, even though it's going to take place almost 700 years in the future, it's in the perfect tense because it's so sure. This is a promise that will be fulfilled. So the prophet is not speaking now in the past occurrence. But he's emphasizing the historical occurrence. A virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, Emmanuel. The perfect certainty, historical certainty, spoken some 700, 800 years before the event. And notice in our text that both phrases... The child born and the son given is prefaced with the words unto us. In other words, what Isaiah is seeing and what Isaiah is hearing is the church 
speaking these words and singing these words. The same church that says in Isaiah 8 verse 18, I and the children whom the Lord has given to me. That Savior is out of the church and to the church. This song, unto us a child is given, unto us a son is given. It's not the song of the whole world. Or oh, at Christmas time they might listen to some of these songs on the radio. But that is the church's word. He belongs, he is given not to the whole human race, but he is born for the sake of God's elect, for our sakes. And so at this time of the year, we go to Bethlehem, don't we? And we sing, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's his person. A divine person being God and also very human. But the promise goes on, doesn't it? To talk about his government or his kingship, his kingdom. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's why this child is born and this son is given. The government and all of its responsibilities lies on his shoulders. It is his call to establish that kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ. It is his task to administer that kingdom. It is his task to preserve that kingdom even when the kingdoms of men fight against it. And it is his task to bring that kingdom to its highest fulfillment when he comes again. And there's the new heavens and the new earth. And he takes us there to that new heavens and that new earth where there's no more sin. There's no more sickness or pain or suffering or death. We're reign with Christ forever and ever. You see, his kingdom, his government, is a kingdom of grace. It is his church. It is his people. Delivering them from their sins and their guilt. And blessing them, giving them new life, life from above, covenant life. That is why we read in John 18 verse 36 where Jesus says to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of the world in its origin, not in its fear, or not, not in its goal. There are so many colleges, Christian colleges today, that keep on talking about our kingdom work, making this world better and better. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. This world is only going to get worse and worse and worse in sin till finally there is the kingdom of Antichrist. But over against the kingdoms of this world, as we have in Daniel's vision also, don't we? That little stone cut out without hands, rolling down, destroying the kingdoms of the world, and that stone then growing and growing and growing and filling the whole earth. The government shall be upon his shoulders. He established it in his coming and suffering and dying. He is the one who is causing that kingdom to prosper even as you and I pray the prayer, thy kingdom come. That kingdom come more and more in your and my hearts. That kingdom come as more and more of God's people are gathered from the nations as they are born and as they are saved. But not only does he rule that kingdom in his grace, but notice, because of his perfect work as a servant of God, God sets him up on the throne in heaven, 
and his enemies are made his footstool. And the picture there is of of Christ Jesus now ruling over the whole world and its history. He is the lamb that is found worthy to open up the book. The book which is God's plan from eternity. The plan for this world, the plan for his church gathered out of that world. Every event, Christ Jesus rules in his power. That's why Christ says in Matthew 28, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus, ruling right now in heaven, ruling every event in your my life, every event in history, the wars that are taking place right now between Russia and Ukraine and Israel and Palestine, the cold wars between Russia and ourselves or China and us or Korea and us, all these events, Christ Jesus ruling in power for the cause of his church that he's saving, but also the condemnation and the toppling of the kingdoms of this world. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. How is that kingdom established? (coughs) He comes into this world... He comes into this world entering into the enemy's stronghold. The devil's stronghold. Satan, the prince of this world. He comes into that stronghold to set free those who are held captive, who are his own. And he does it by destroying the strong man. Overcoming him. Overcoming the power of sin and death and hell by his sacrifice there on the cross. You see, it's at the cross that Jesus laid the foundation of his kingdom. At the cross, Jesus destroyed Satan's dominion and sets us free from our sins. And after Jesus rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven triumphantly he becomes the mighty lord of his kingdom yes the government is on his shoulder and he acts what a wonderful kingdom that is that's given to him what a wonderful king he is always the victor always giving us the victory in himself. That is the child that brings salvation in his person. And second of all, then, through his government. And now thirdly, in his names. Wonderful names given to him in this prophecy. There are those who say there's four names And they take the first two, Wonderful Counselor, together. There are those who say there's six names and they divide Mighty from God. But in our King James Version, and I believe correctly, we have five names. Just in catechism, the children are asked over against studying from the Apostles' Creed, the famous names of our mediator, Jesus Christ the Lord. The question was, what other names do you find? Lion, the Lamb, Son of God, Son of Man. And some of the children also listed all of these names. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Let's look at those names. Let's look at those names because that's part of our joy, isn't it? That's what Isaiah is saying here. 
Those who have sat in darkness have seen the light, and now there is rejoicing. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. Each beginning with that word for. For unto us. Unto us is given one whose name is fivefold. Wonderful. You'll remember with the word wonder, it's one of the words that we use to explain what a miracle is. A miracle is a wonder because it causes one to sit still because God is working in a way otherwise than what he usually does. Instead of using laws of nature as he carries out his will for everything, there's miracles. And those miracles cause people to stop and wonder. Think a moment of Jesus' miracles. Well, his name is Wonder because the very way that he is going to be given to us is a wonder, isn't it? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This is a king, this is a savior that we don't produce of ourselves. Impossible. God does the impossible for our salvation. God and man in one divine person. And look at him. Look at his whole life. Beginning with the, uh, the earliest part of his ministry in Cana of Galilee. They ran out of wine. Those wedding feasts would last for seven days. And Mary thought she would help Jesus. She would tell him how to come to his glory like he should so people would recognize him. She tells him they're out of wine. Jesus does do the miracle. Not in order to get popularity at that point, but because he's going to point out a spiritual wonder that the kingdom that he has come to establish is not mere that of water, natural, but it is of wine, it is of joy, it is of happiness, it is of God. And all the miracles that he did, oh, Israel and Judah, you beheld one amongst you who obviously must be of God because of the miracles he does. But they sought him for the miracles and not for who he was. Look at our Lord Jesus. Yes, his name is Wonder. Because he who was put to death, who gave himself in death, is the same one who takes his life back again. Look at him as he ascends up into heaven. The wonder there. And he continues to be a wonder in the work that he does now from heaven. The gospel writer Luke <clears throat> writes in his gospel about what Jesus began to say and to do. So that in the book of Acts, he may continue to tell us of what Jesus does from heaven for his church. What wonderful accomplishments. May you and I know it by experience. <clears throat> we were dead in sin. We were unable to do anything good of ourselves. What a wonder that he gives us new life from above, worked by his spirit. Oh, the wonder that he calls us irresistibly with the gospel and we hearken and we come. What a wonder that faith is worked in these hearts. What a wonder that we are justified, that we are sanctified, that we are preserved by his spirit and by his word and will be glorified. Wouldn't you say his name is wonderful, saving sinners like you and me? His name is Counselor. Counselor because he is our great prophet. He makes known in his word and in his deeds all the secret counsel of God. 
what a great deal of wisdom he has in knowing how to call his people, how to work faith in them. He has a plan of action, and he knows how to accomplish that plan. When he came here on earth, he knew that he had to do his father's will at age 12. He knows when it's time to begin that ministry, and he knows exactly the time when that ministry is going to come to an end, that earthly ministry, that is. He knows that he has come to fulfill a plan and a purpose of his Father in heaven. And he brings the Father's truth. Counselor. Oh, there's all kinds of counselors today. Some are good counselors. Some aren't worth a nickel. He is a great counselor because he knows how he can impart that knowledge and that wisdom to you and me who so sorely need it. You and I who are by nature so foolish and ignorant. And Jesus says to us, come. Come and learn of me. And there's never a point in our life that we say, I know enough. We are always children, growing in our knowledge and in our appreciation of Christ Jesus, our teacher, our prophet. He makes known to us all the wonderful counsel of God concerning our salvation. He makes known that counsel through the preaching of the word. Just as he did when he was on earth, now he uses ministers he uses catechism teachers. He uses Christian school teachers in our schools. He teaches us and he makes you and me wise unto salvation. Counselor. Mighty God. Mighty God. Not mighty as a sense of a hero among men, Rather, he is God. A man could never establish his kingdom because it is a heavenly kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. Mighty. Overcomes all his and our enemies. Mighty in our salvation. As in the vision of Daniel, all these grand kingdoms of this world, he destroys them all because they have feet of iron and clay. He destroys those kingdoms, and he's a mighty God because he establishes his kingdom that grows and grows more and more in your my hearts, and also as he gathers his people out of the nations. Yes, he is God who shows his might. He has power to save. He destroys all of your my enemies and delivers us unto eternal salvation. He is the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? That means that the Son of God has all the angels as his servants doing his beck and calling. But not just the angels. Even the devil and the wicked will do his purpose. Oh yes, the wicked rejoice when they put Jesus on the cross. But foolish men, foolish men, they are instruments of bringing about your my salvation. Jesus must die in order that you and I may live. Mighty God. He performs a salvation that no one else could do. He is able to save all those who put their trust in him. The fourth name, Everlasting Father. Our Messiah is Father. And I spoke of this last time already, didn't I? Even though he is a second person of the Trinity, 
He is God's firstborn. He is one with the Father gathering God's children. And he is the firstborn because, as we read in eight, chapter 8, verse 18, I and the children whom thou hast given to me. He is the first one in God's et eternal plan. And in Christ there is the whole church. He is everlasting. That's another attribute that belongs to his person. He existed before the foundation of the world. And before the foundation of the world, all God's children were given to him to be saved. As the everlasting Father, he comes into this world then. And as the firstborn of Mary, he makes way for the other sons and daughters to be born to Mary. But as the firstborn in God's plan, he is the beginning of all the other children. So from everlasting, really, Christ Jesus is also Father. And we are his sons and daughters. He is the father of a new humanity, even as Adam was the first father of the human race. Jesus Christ is the father of his church, of his people, of his elect. As a father to us, what tender love that Messiah shows from everlasting to everlasting for his people. What tender care he gives to save and to protect his people and provide for them all that they stand in need of. As we read in Psalm 103, verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. But not only love, not only wonderful care, but also the rule to govern the household, to govern wisely, to discipline when necessary, to chastise his children, to bring them back to him, and also to encourage them at other times and to carry them when it's hard for them even to walk any longer. Christ is everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. What glorious royalty! He is King already, and He will rule forever and ever. And he will bring about the everlasting peace that all the treaties and all the wars that we have now can never bring. Will there ever be peace, real peace, between Russia and United States, between China and United States, between Korea and United States? Will there ever be real peace between the Israelites Israel and Palestine, the West Bank. No. No, it is kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. Look again at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. A kingdom of gold followed with a kingdom of silver, followed with a kingdom of brass, followed with a kingdom of iron. From glorious metal to the strongest metal possible, but it all has feet of iron and clay. The kingdoms will come and go in this world. There's only one kingdom that will be established and will bring everlasting peace, and that is the kingdom of Christ Jesus. In this world, there is no peace for the wicked, is there? And Christ does not allow any peace here in this wicked world. Man cannot produce it. There is peace, wonderful peace, in Christ Jesus. What is that peace? First of all, it is peace with God. You and I, through our fall into sin, hated God. We're at enmity with God. What a powerful thing Christ has done. He has removed our sin so that now there is reconciliation and there's wonderful peace between God and us. 
and having removed sin and working in us by his spirit, you and I who would always hate one another, be filled with envy and greed of one another, find fault with one another. There is peace in the church of Jesus Christ. Perfect peace here on earth? No, no, there's not. But there's going to be. We work at it now by the Spirit and by the Word. We work at that peace, the communion of saints. But finally, when there is no more temptation or sin, there's no more depravity because we are taken with Christ into the new heavens and the new earth, eternal peace. Christ reigning over us and we are his subjects his friends, his servants that serve him. All through the cross, all through the cross, he was born, he was given, he was born in order to go to the cross to make that salvation possible for us. And the guarantee of this promise, we read in Isaiah 9, verse 6, and seven, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's not impossible. It seems to us it would be impossible. It's not impossible. He is the Lord of hosts, first of all. And number two, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, his zeal for God's glory, his zeal for his, in his love for us, that zeal of the Lord will perform this. So there's joy. You and I who live in the darkness of sin, and yes, in the Bible, darkness, blackness is a picture of sin. There's this wonderful light of the gospel. There's the light of Christ Jesus, who is the light of the world. And we rejoice. We who sat in the darkness have seen a great light and we're filled with rejoicing and joy. May that be your joy this Christmas and every day of your life. Salvation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father in heaven, what a glorious Son thou hast given to us. What a wondrous child was born of the Virgin Mary so that he could stand in our place. He could deliver us from our sin and death and give us life and blessing and joy. Receive our thanks. Fill our lives with joy so that each day, whether it be in our studies, the work in the home or the workplace, lived for thee, sons and daughters. Amen.